It's the first edition of Bills by the Numbers after the 2022 season has been put to bed. We are presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Time to dice up some discoveries on third down for the Bills defense. Steve and I dive into the numbers there. What should we expect from Buffalo's defense going forward? And we'll have these three things concerning this year's NFL Combine and the talent on hand. Let's kick the offseason into gear. you can make it in for Bills by the Numbers. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker, Bills Insider Chris Brown here with you. And we come out of the blocks with a subject matter brought to us by one of our loyal listeners who was convinced the Bills defense was giving up close to 50% conversion on third and long this season. This Bills fan wanted answers, and we have them. So if you have any areas on the Bills where you want us digging, just tweet at us. Let us know. Uh, we're happy to dig into it. At least I am because, I don't know, I crunch these things just for giggles sometimes. So as we dive into those numbers, the Bills defense ranked seventh in the league in third down D, giving up an overall conversion rate of 37.5%. That's pretty darn good, especially considering the Bills were without Micah Hyde almost the entire season, Jordan Poyer for five games, Tredavious White for the first ten games, and then Von Miller for the last six. But what were your overall thoughts, Steve, about Buffalo's third down defense in particular um, i see where, where the listener came from because there were so many times on multiple occasions where the bills were giving up third and long conversions and it seemed like it happened multiple times every game when you go back and look at it well it really didn't um <laughs> it was frustrating because it's so always the timing of it was always crucial and the one you always remember is the fourth and 18 against minnesota that would have stopped the game and ended it yeah and you know justin jefferson actually gets helped to catch the football by Cam Lewis on the 4th and 18 conversion when Cam Lewis was trying to intercept it, ended up helping him catch an impossible catch, and they lose the game because of it. Uh, that's That kind of thing sticks with you. So you kind of watch for that, and later on you think, well, yeah, there's another 3rd and 14 that they converted. There's another 3rd and 12 they converted. And you get the sense that it's worse than it is because of the timing of that play and others like it. I think part of the reason at least in my head, and I probably should have looked this up too before we did this pod, I feel like the Bills' defense for most of the year was so effective in forcing third and longs that there were more of them for their opponents right. to try to convert. And so when they did, I think it was almost like an optical illusion, like you think that they're converting these third and longs all the time, but I think it's because the Bills' defense put opponent, opposing offenses in third and long so often uh, that it seemed if and when they did convert. Ah, there's another third and long they converted. The one thing that I wish I had also done, Steve, was how many of those third and longs were being converted over the last six weeks of the season when Von Miller was no longer in the lineup? Did those numbers go up or did they come down? Maybe that's something I can dive into in a future there's podcast. Another part of that as well is that the Bills were not that great on fourth down conversions. So yeah. while they may not have given up a big, a ton of third down conversions, they weren't very good. They were 22nd in the league in fourth down conversions. Yeah. And, and if you remember, their philosophy on third and long is give them half of it. And hope and, they punt. And hope they punt. A lot of times teams yeah. were getting more than half of it, and they weren't punting, and the Bills were not as good on fourth down conversions. So they, uh, as yeah. good as they were on third, they put themselves in a bad position on fourth. 
What the numbers tell us as we break down third down by distance is the most successful distance on third down for opponents with 10 or more plays this past season. We want to have somewhat of a sample size against Buffalo's defense. Came on runs of third and one, passes of third and five, and passes of third and four. So short yardage runs, which are tough for any team to stop, saw the Bills D give up a 70.6% conversion rate on third and one runs. On third and four and third and five, the Bills gave up a combined conversion rate of 59%. Those are passes. So the third and short run conversion percentage, not a surprise. But what do you make of the 59% conversion rate, Steve, on third and four and third and five passes against the Bills? Yeah, I think that's a. I think they were struggling with it. And there's no question about it. Um, you got to have a. If you're going to stop that and they're going to throw the football, it's one of two things. Usually, quarterback gets the ball and zing, it's out of his hands. We've seen Josh Allen do time and time again to that reliable slot defender or slot receiver. Um, and I don't know that it's just a quirk in the statistics, but most teams are going to throw it. So you're going to yep. face a lot more. It's not a, it's not a running down. And in today's NFL, to have that ball get out of the quarterback's hand too fast for your pass rush to have an effect on the quarterback. And the fact that, man, oh, man, you're not allowed to hold these guys or hit them. or any, I, I'm surprised, I'm, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's a trend across the league, the teams on third and four, third and five passes give up a higher maybe their highest percentage of conversions than any other down a distance yeah there's a part of me too that except tries, for maybe third and one yeah i try to think about what the defensive philosophy is of coach mcdermott and coach frazier and it essentially is do not give up the big play so even when it's third and four and third and five i almost feel like they're still protecting against that right and so what does that mean i don't have the numbers because i didn't look them up on this but it leads me to believe that they're not super aggressive on third and four and third and five. They're not right up at the line of scrimmage. They're not pressing every single time, you know, press coverage, you know, man across the board, that kind of thing. Uh, I tend to think that they trust their pass rush to disrupt the timing of a play, and they believe their coverage guys are going to at least be able to make a tackle in front of the sticks, even if they're not in press man. Right. How often that happened? Clearly not enough this season. Why? Well, maybe it's because you didn't have Von Miller the last six weeks of the season. Maybe it's because you had rookie corners starting at the beginning of the year in Benford and Elam. I mean, Dane Jackson missed a game in week three. So, I mean, you, you had Benford and Elam on the field at the same time. Heck, in week three, you had Jamarcus Ingram out there by the time the game was over. So all of that, you factor it in and you say, okay, that contributes to some of that, but 59% is pretty high for third and what accounts to third and medium. It's not even third and long. Right. So for our listener who wanted to suggest, his specific suggestion was third and seven or more, we're giving up 50%. No, that's not accurate, as we'll get into in a second. But third and four or five, yeah. it was. Yeah. 59% conversion. And I get it, too. You can't, you start keeping track of it in your head, and you start attributing and, and projecting your emotions onto the statistics you think are going to happen. And, and it's like, man, that – and for all of us, the frustrating part is a third and long conversion is pretty frustrating. Third and medium, third and seven or eight is a, is a, is a frustrating down distance yeah. to give up. 
But I think that frustration makes it seem like it's worse than it is, particularly on a team that had some pretty glaring conversions in games that were close. Yeah. So our listener who kind of gave us spawned the idea for this podcast this week, he suggested that it appeared opponents converted third and seven or more 50% of the time. That is totally false. The highest success rate on third and long against Buffalo's defense came at a distance of third and eight, and the success rate by Bill's opponents was just 38.5%. They were five for 13 on the season. On third and seven through third and 10 combined, Buffalo's defense allowed conversions less than 35% of the time, where they were 17 for 49. Long down and distance typically leads to a lower conversion rate. That proved to be the case, so not a surprise. But Buffalo's effectiveness, despite a rash of injuries on the defensive side of the ball, does speak to the unit's depth, does it not? Yes. Be- yes, be- because all the things you just said, all those guys that had to play yeah. and shuffling in and out, losing Micah Hyde, losing Vaughn Miller. Poyer um, for five games. And the corners are shuffling in and out. Um, the only guys that played most of the season, well, the only guy that played all the season was Taron Johnson. Uh, Poyer missed a game and then, but played through injuries and hurt, was he- had a heroic effort throughout the regular season. Dane Jackson, Kyrie Elam, and Christian Benford all were in and out of the lineup so and forced in and out because of injury so it was was one of those years for bills in the secondary so you could put that on them a little bit but it also goes to the pass rush and everything else that that was that was yeah, there you as had well. guys that you missed had, time there too uh in a year where your two linebackers had their best seasons ever uh you got to mesh that in there as well so it's it, there's a lot of contradictory statistics and contradictory feelings that we have about how this defense played throughout the year, and I think, I think that's typical for a season. Yeah. And the injuries were on the defensive front as well. Ed Oliver missed a few games at the beginning of the year with a bad ankle injury. Jordan Phillips, hamstring, followed by torn rotator cuff. He missed a lot of time this season. Daquan Jones was sorely missed in the playoff game against Cincinnati. That was the only game he missed, but it was a big one. And mm-hmm. not having him in the lineup was noticeable, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, and then even Tim Settle missed some time with a calf injury that cropped up twice in the first half of the season. And then obviously the Von Miller injury um, proved to be pretty detrimental as well. Finally, the last opponent success rate surprisingly, or the lowest opponent success rate surprisingly came on third and one passes and third and seven passes specifically. The conversion rate on both those distances, Steve, was just 30%. What do you make the fact that third and one runs were a big issue for Buffalo's defense? 70% conversion. But third and one passing was an area of strength for Buffalo's D, just 30% conversion. Defies logic. um, I I think that that is philosophical. the third and one runs. I mean, you get quarterback sneaks. I mean, yeah. all the guys have to do is step through a crack. It's hard in to it. stop. It's hard to stop. Uh, you almost have to anticipate the play for, down a distance and formation and personnel and say, okay, I know what play they're coming and get it. It can get there faster. The snap count can give you a third and one. Passing, I think you can credit Leslie Frazier and the way they deploy their defense on third and one and uh, as the reason why. Hmm. Uh, they don't give anything. And they have no problem getting up in guys and staying close. And I think that's probably because of the confidence they had in their secondary and their linebackers. Um, 
you know, once again, you don't want to give up a big play. But most teams also, well, won't be go for the home run shot on a third one. They want to stay on the field. Right. They're trying to get a first down. And I think Leslie Frazier plays to that tendency and says, all right, we're going to be more aggressive on third and one in the passing game on the yeah. outside. And it makes it tougher. And I, plus, plus the length they have at their defensive end, the quarterback has to throw it around and get around. Your hands and, yeah, up. Get your hands up. And they got a few other things to think about offensively. So all that stuff in the mix, I think that's what lends itself to it. But I think it's philosophical that Leslie Frazier – believes that they can be more aggressive on a third and one knowing a team probably won't take the home run shot the the shocking thing for me is it's a difference of 40 yeah. percent like i you have to believe that opponents as the year went on you see that disparity as an offensive play caller oh the bills are giving up 70 percent conversion on third and one runs but only 30 percent conversion on third and one passes I'm running the ball right. on third and one like every than, single time. I'm, and I'm sure that even And it in, did end up slanting that way. Even in a normal year, most teams would do that. Yes. Run it more than passing on third and one. But, man, oh, man, that would really convince you. Convince me to, you know, listen, let's go <laughs> heavy. And, let's go heavy and push it in. I have in. a 40% greater chance to convert if I just run the thing. Okay, that's what I'm doing. Uh, it's just. Some of the numbers were fascinating, uh, so hopefully you enjoyed some of those. Speaking of numbers, it is time now for the numbers game, and we see if Steve can guess where the Bills ranked in a number of categories concerning third down defense. Steve, are you ready? All right. We got uh, question number one. Where do you think the Bills ranked in first downs allowed on third down plays? Where in the league did they rank, do you think? First downs allowed on third down. I say top ten. Like eight, seven, seven. Okay, so they were they were better than that. They were tied for third. Oh. So right. even though they were seventh in third down defense, conversion rate, they gave up the third fewest total first downs on the season. They only gave up eighty-four all year That's- long. Now, they did play only 16 games, so we probably should take right, that right, into right, account, right. Oh, too. Yeah, I guess that's true. One less game. That. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. That's, it's good. So, they probably would have been seventh if they had played the somewhere team. around there. And all, <laughs> you're probably, yeah. Okay, you're going to hedge on me. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Question two Where do you think the Bills ranked in sacks on third downs? Third down sacks. 15th. It's way more. Is it? They were 29th. Wow. Steve, you ready for this number? They had 11 sacks on third down. Yeah, all a crucial down. That season long. You got to be better. They got to be better than that. And if I was a betting man, I would bet that Von Miller had about five of them. He had two on opening day. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. Uh, question three. What do you think the Bills' rank was for completion percentage allowed on third down? Completion percentage allowed. Where they rank? I'll say, t- I'll say eight. Lower again, 20th. Wow, they're bad. They allowed a completion percentage on third down. Yeah, that down makes some sense. Of 61%. Because they... 
they play that if they're third and long or third and seven they'll plus, give you the catch they give you the but catch. not the first they down. give you the catch and not the first down so i i, I can see that yeah because it let's, that kind let's of, not forget they're still really their, good defense plays into their philosophy yeah how they play yeah question okay. four where did the bills rank in touchdowns allowed on third down do you think so let's go into the philosophy again steve they'll give you catches but not first downs they also Nothing don't like giving play. you points. They don't give you yeah. – so it would have to be red zone, which I don't know. I'll say – I'll say pretty high. I'll say like three. You're right there, Steve. They were second. Oh, all right. Buffalo allowed just seven touchdowns on third down all season long. That's pretty that's good. That's pretty yeah. dang good. Yeah. So that's kind of proof in the pudding that, you know, you can have your conversions – you can have your catches, completion percentage. Points is the thing. They only gave up seven touchdowns on third down all season long. Mm, second in the league. That's a good number. Last question. Where did the Bills rank in interceptions made on third down? Oof. Um, on third down. Interceptions made. Thinking about the philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Probably, well, I'll say, yeah, I'll say bottom half of the top ten again, like seven. They're actually middle of the pack. 16th. The Bills had just three interceptions on third down. Really? All season long. And again, you got to go back to who was playing back there. You got rookie corners. Tredavious White only had one pick all season because he only played the last six games. And... Poyer missed five games, and Hyde missed almost the entire year. Mm-hmm. And yet they still had 27 takeaways as a team. They just didn't seem to come on third down. Right. Some teams they were tied with for 16th with three third down interceptions. Miami, Cincinnati, and Baltimore. So there's some pretty good teams there that they're in right. company with. Good defenses, you know, with Cincinnati and Baltimore at least. So right. that is the numbers game. As we dive into our closing segment, we remind you that we are brought to you by FanDuel, an official partner of the Buffalo Bills. Download the app today and make every moment more. The app is easy and simple to use with generous promotions offered every day, safe and secure with the best in-class customer service with your winnings paid out in as little as two hours. Go to FanDuel.com. All right, we turn now to these three things, and each of these things pertains to the upcoming NFL Combine, which, before we know it, Steve and I will be there at the end of the month. First thing, we know that the NFL Combine is often where negotiations begin and sometimes end with a team's own free agents as well as discussions with player agents on restructuring contracts, cap help, that kind of stuff. Who would you hope, Steve, is Brandon Bean's priority at the NFL Combine in this regard? Well, it it's none of the prospects that's for sure it would probably be you got to go with the big numbers first probably josh and vaughn they would go to them first because those guys are going nowhere Diggs may be on that list as well so you're thinking restructure priority of business sure okay yeah i, I mean off the field obviously they're going to be have their their nose in the what's going on at the combine but the combine isn't about so much the the gymnastics that they go through physically you know the the 40s and the bench and the vertical and all that it's about the medical and about sitting down and talking to these guys and finding out who they are. Uh, that's where the big, you know, the 
the big issues are, and that's the important thing on the agenda. So it's not so much about that. They'll be able to talk to those kids and, and get to know the guys they want to talk to. Right. But I think for the organization, it's about getting the money to pay those guys and get some guys on the, on the roster that right. can play. I also think a priority, too, is determining the either-or situation, at least as I see it, with Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan Poyer. Because to me, both of them are not going to be back here. To me, it's an either-or proposition, and I think there is a remote possibility it's neither. Um, yeah. Depending on the money they believe they deserve or can command, more importantly, on the open market. So I think it's important for Bean to huddle up with their respective agents and say, hey, these are the parameters under which we are working. Here is what we can budget for Poyer. Here's what we can budget for Edmonds. What do you guys think? And they have to get feedback from those two right. parties so they know what direction they're going to have to take going forward because we hear Brandon Bean say it all the time, Steve. We tell guys we'd love to keep you. This is the value we put on you based on our parameters and our fiscal responsibilities that we have to the cap and the rest of our roster and who's going to help us in terms of the restructures like you mentioned. This is what we can do. And then it's a yay or a nay, or I'm going to go test the market. And it's like, okay, good luck. You know, but if nothing comes of it, come back because this is what we're willing to give you. Right. That has Those, to get laid out and finalized. There's a ton of stuff. The there's a ton of groundwork that has to be done before they can start talking about, you know, Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan Poyer. Certainly they've got those guys valued. They've got to talk to some of the other guys to restructure to find out if that's actually going to happen and, and what they're going to have to work with. They've probably got a best-case scenario of if we restructure this, 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 and this, here's how much money we've got, here's how much we can give to to Edmonds, here's how much we can give to Poyer and all the others. Um, here's what we're going to be working with in a best-case scenario. Um, certainly, the restructures, the guys probably won't squawk at that much at all, if at all. Yeah. But having that money available and what the guys like Poyer and Edmonds are willing to talk to them about, because they may say, all right, I'll, I'll let you keep the money this year, but I'm going to be guaranteed more over the life of the contract. Yeah. Um, and vice versa. Either you can pay me this year, and then, you know, I'll take a, a bath. Or, you know, I'll get the same amount of money, but I'm going to get, get it more up front. Or I'm going to back end the contract as the, as the ca salary cap jumps. That kind of stuff. That's what you don't know if, as a general manager, mm -hmm. what the player wants and what's going to be best for him. Um, you certainly don't want to get in, go in and pay him more than what they're willing to take to stay in Buffalo. As we've seen, you know, we've seen guys like Taron Johnson, Matt Milano, those guys, they were they got those deals done. Dawson Knox, they never flirted with free agency. They they got some money. Do Poirier and Edmonds fall into that category? You got to find out if you're the GM. Yeah. Second thing, Brandon Bean at his season wrap-up press conference said he would need to be creative this offseason in terms of creating cap space, and he even said this directly. Players would have to be cut from the roster. He not he didn't say to what degree, but I think he anticipates that restructures may not be enough in terms of creating sufficient cap space to conduct business as they plan to right. this offseason. Who do you think could be moved, either by trade or release? I mean, they could trade somebody too. 
Um, well, yeah, I mean, guys down the – like Naheem Hines is making a good number. Um, if somebody had an opinion of Ed Oliver or somebody like that who they thought they could get more out of or fits their, their scheme better, like, in, like a team like Pittsburgh who plays a – 3-4 defense, Ed Oliver might be able to play end in a situation like that mm -hmm. and be much more effective with a guy like, um, you know, Watt, T.J. Watt outside of him or the other side. So the teams like that may covet one of your guys. Um, they also may be willing – even a guy like, you know, if you can get Tremaine Edmonds to sign a deal and then trade him or something of that nature, trade him and let him sign with the other team, um, I doubt that'll happen. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a ton of guys like that. Uh, Mitch Morse, uh, all the way down the line. Daquan Jones. Uh, these guys are free agent. Daquan's a free agent. No, he's not. He's got another year on his contract. Uh, is he? Uh, okay. Signed a two-year two year, two year, deal year, four, last year. Yeah, okay. Daquan Jones uh, could be a guy like that. I think, he's a guy that you'd love to have. Yeah, I – to they me, could restructure him. To me, I think we're going to see a lot more restructures than player releases, but I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of a trade option. I think Ed Oliver, with a big cap number at 10-7, he could be a trade option as long as the trading partner is convinced they could sign him to an extension uh, and maybe ease the burden of that cap figure. So... To me, I think he would be a prime candidate for that. And then you've got maybe some players that are a little bit lower on the rungs of the ladder if you need to save $2 million here to make a difference in signing a free agent. Maybe it's somebody like Isaiah McKenzie who gets tossed overboard. Um, I think the vast majority, though, are going to be restructures. Mitch Morse, I think, was your most consistent offensive lineman on the field last year. I know he's got a high cap figure. Extend him one more year. Spread the money out a little bit. Um, put some money in his pocket. Extend him a year. You know, reduce the cap figure year over year. Do the same thing with Naheem Hines. Young player, extend him a couple of years. Spread the money out. Uh, you could, you know, there are a multitude of things you could do to facilitate cap space that way. And I tend to think restructures are going to be more of the way that they go. Because there are a lot of contracts coming off the books as well with 22 unrestricted free agents on the roster. Third thing, what position group will you be most focused on, Steve, at the NFL Combine? Uh, probably wide receiver, uh, mainly because you can get an idea about those guys and their abilities more so than you can offensive linemen. Uh, offensive linemen, great. You can walk through them, but it's like looking at a herd of cattle. I mean, who can? Yeah. I mean, you got to be an expert to find, you know, to see differences, and they're not going to be able to do anything that's going to show you what they're like. Uh, but as the combine, what we'll be exposed to, you want to see the wideouts, how big they are, how fast they are. Um, certainly, the interviews are going to be important, and the bills are going to be in the market um, for offensive linemen and wide receivers. Mm -hmm. And you know, you look back at the way the season – and I don't know where – it's a recency bias. Think about this, though, Brownie. And you, you said this, too, um, uh, I, on your social media account. The Eagles had this phenomenal defense, 
absolutely elite pass rushers. They set, they busted the bank, had a fat number of sacks, and it was meaningless in the biggest game of the year. They nothing helped them. Their mm-hmm. defense was absolutely ineffective. I I, I agree with. Your premise is that you listen. You got to load. You got to score with teams. Yeah. When you get to the elite level in the National Football League as a team, and the Bills are there already. I mean, they were number two in the league in scoring, and they They're could right run it there. up. Cincinnati, Buffalo, Kansas City, uh, and Philly was there as well, uh, and some other teams. You you got to score. Um, certainly, you don't want to be in the boat of the Detroit Lions, who could score some points, but they had no ability to stop anybody. Yeah, there's like there's Swiss examples. Cheese, there's know. examples. But you have put a lot of draft capital in the top two rounds of the draft on the, off, on the defensive side of the ball in the last two or three years. You need to flip that over. You're, you've got to be able to score points and be that team that teams just got to feel like the pressure is on, not for our defense, but our offense has to keep up. Yeah. I think that's where they are at this combine. That's why I kind of hang out there with the wide receivers and the offensive I'm line. with you on wide receiver and Yes, I understand the offensive line need. I'm all on board with that as well. The guys I really want to watch, though, are these tight ends. This tight end class is being labeled special from a pass-catching standpoint. And I know that Brandon Bean is never afraid to pivot when value is not right at maybe a need position per se. And I think tight end can offer the Bills an intriguing alternative to add a weapon in the passing game with the athletes at tight end in this class. There are five that are being um, ranked in the top 50 prospects overall. I can't remember the last time I saw five tight ends ranked in the top 50, and there's about 12 ranked in the top 100. So for me, I really want to get a handle on this tight end class that is already being labeled special and see what they have to offer from a pass-catching perspective. Because if you can pair another dynamic pass-catching tight end with Dawson Knox and the receiving core that the Bills already have, I think that could pay just as much in terms of dividends for this offense as a dynamic wide receiver. So I want to get eyeballs on them when we get out to Indianapolis. Our closing figure this week deals with the NFL Combine as well. As we know, there were 319 total invites. 83 of those invites played in the SEC conference, which equates to 26% of the total invite list. The Big Ten was second with 22.5% of the invites, tied for third, the ACC and the Big 12 at just half that number, 11%. It's an SEC world, and we're all just living in it, Steve. A lot of great athletes there, and they play big-time football. The, the NIL deals and the, and the transfer portal – uh, make it possible for them to to keep that roster refurbished all yeah. the time. It's and, amazing. And if they can entice a guy from another school, I mean, the, re- the recruiting process now went from incoming freshmen to four years. you got to recruit the guys that you've already recruited and already signed and already played for you. And you've still got to You've got to keep recruiting them. And now you got to keep paying them. So it's a, it's a different world they live in. <laughs> and – the SEC has got a lot of tradition, deep pockets, great facilities, great atmosphere, everything a young kid could want to play football. Those teams have it, and yep. they're going to keep. It's going to keep on keeping on. 
That'll do it for this episode. Be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform so you know when our next episode is out. And as always, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. Next time, we'll see you at the NFL Combine, everybody.